We are in a series we're calling Route 66, and uh, we're going uh, book by book through the scriptures, through the Bible, wanting to get that big picture view of what it is that God, how God has shown himself, how has God revealed himself to us through his written word. And uh, so we come to the book of First Thessalonians. I've entitled that book, False Summits. We're, we're, we're kind of off-road from last week. We're, I said this is Route 66, but we've gone off-road. Last week we started climbing, 2 Corinthians. We, we saw that the Christian life is an uphill climb. That uh, just like some of the best hikes in the gorge, sometimes it's steep and it's hard. We went hiking uh, a short, fairly short hike in the gorge. And yet, it's funny, as we're going along, somebody made the comment, I don't remember it being this steep. And it was. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect it was going to be quite this hard. That's just like life, isn't it? I didn't think it was going to be quite like this. Uh, this is the book of hope. And yet, hope can be a tricky thing, can it? Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred makes the heart grow weak. You, have you hoped for something and it didn't happen? You hoped it would go this way and it went the other way. And somebody said, well, you didn't believe hard enough. But if you didn't really believe, the hope not realized would not have disappointed, would it? It's because you believed, because your faith was real, that that hope that was not realized was such a disappointment. In a sense, comes crashing in on you. Have you stood in John 11 with Mary and said, Lord, Mary and Martha, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know what the situation was for you, but have you been there with God and said, in the midst of what didn't happen, in the midst of the trouble where I didn't find the deliverance I expected, where I didn't find the good thing to happen that I was hoping for, and you said, Lord, where were you? Lord, if you had been here, and yet it didn't seem like he was. Have you been there? Hope deferred. Makes the heart grow weak. Just this last week, I, I heard a story from a friend of mine named Curtis, and, and Curtis was sharing Rachel's story. Rachel's a young woman, about 30. She was born with a, with a, uh, a heart defect that uh, along the way she was going to need a heart transplant, a heart transplant and a liver transplant. She, the last five years, she's been waiting for the word of a suitable donor, that at any moment she could get a phone call and she would have to rush to the hospital and uh, then she would submit to general anesthetic knowing that when she submitted to general anesthetic at that short notice, couple of hours max, she might not wake up. Got that call just a few weeks ago. Rushed to Seattle. There were a heart and a liver that, that matched and uh, newly married just about two years ago, just over. Took the general anesthetic, went to sleep. And yet, in the midst of the surgery, something very unexpected happened. The, the new heart would not restart. It, 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 it froze instead. It's something called a stone heart. It's a very rare condition where calcification occurs at the molecular level. I don't need to go into that, but, but the heart won't start. The heart won't beat. 
And there's nothing else that can be done. And they, they, they waited, they tried through, through, through artificial circulation to keep her alive for, for about two weeks. One emergency after another, and they finally had to come to the point where they had to let Rachel go. She never woke up from that general anesthetic. At a time like that, when what you have hoped for for years, and you thought it was there, and it wasn't. Hope deferred can make the heart grow weak. Life can be like that. You have had situations like that. The way Curtis explained it, I loved his analogy. He said, it's kind of like you're reading a book or you're watching a movie and something unexpected and, and, and bad happens to your favorite character. And you say, no, it can't be like this. You're hoping the author is not a fatalistic, that, that it's going to come out somehow all right. But in the midst of life, we're in the middle. We're, we're in the middle. We jump like I do with novels. We are right in the middle of a much bigger story. I'll jump into a book and I don't know what's going on there. I decide by that middle that I jump into, is this a story I want to read or not? If it's good enough, then I'll go back and pick it up from the beginning. But in life, <laughs> in life, we are in the middle of a much bigger story. We know something about the beginning. We know something about the end. But the beginning and the end are beyond our full comprehension because they're outside of the bounds of our experience. We're in the middle of a grander story that we cannot really figure out. And so the midst of what happens in the plot twist and turns right now don't necessarily make sense. Hope deferred can make the heart grow weak. I had an image of this when I was, when I was hiking along in the gorge, and it's, it's, the, it's the image of a false summit. A false summit in, in hiking. I've, I've got a picture of Mount Adams. Daniel and I climbed Mount Adams last year, and when you start, the mountain looms before you. It's way up there, all 12,200 feet of it. Wow. And we're going we're gonna to conquer this mountain. And on we go, and you're slogging, and you're slogging, and you get to the point where it, it's closer and it looms before you, and the next picture, you see this, and you're, you're around about 9,000 feet, and you're looking up there, and there it is, it's almost within reach. We can go a little bit farther, that's, that's only about 2,000 more feet, and we'll be there, right? Except, that's not the summit. That's what's called the false summit. We are too close in that you can't see the real summit, which is beyond the false summit. That looks like that's the end. It looks like that's the goal. And then when you climb up, finally you make it up those 2,000 feet, and then you see this. And you say, man, I got another mile. I got another 1,200 feet, and I'm spent. All of my hope was to this far, and we're not home yet. A false summit. A false hope, an empty promise that if I was so fixed on what I thought was going to be, when it is not, I can't go on any farther. Hope deferred can make the heart grow weak. And life has those kind of disappointments. Depending on where your hope is, depending on where, where your, you see the summit to be, some of these things might Create that idea of a false hope. It's going to turn out like this. And then when it doesn't, I don't know what to do. It might be, for some of you, trouble with kids, young or older. For some of you, it might be trouble with parents, 
younger or older. So it, it might be the tragedies that happen in the midst of a wicked world where, where children are sent across a couple of countries to, to, to find their way to this country, trying to hopefully their parents think they'll have a better life for them there. At least that's part of the storyline. But on this side of the border, they then become political pawns in somebody else's game. In our news round here just recently, an eight-year-old boy was caught in the current in the river. His, his father and his uncle both drowned trying to save him before another man was able to save him. You go to the doctor, and a doctor's visit becomes a spiral of vocabulary where first you hear there's something unusual, which becomes an abnormality, which becomes a growth, which is labeled a tumor, which finally spirals into that dreaded word, cancer. What do we do? I was supposed to be healthy. The doctors were supposed to be able to fix me. This is my hope. And all of a sudden I realize it doesn't seem like it's going to happen that way. And it comes crushing down upon us. Maybe it's financial pressures that overwhelm. Maybe it's criticisms and personal attacks. Maybe those are because of your faith and other people's rejection of it. And you're in the midst of that, those attacks against you, how you're received by others. And in the midst of that, Thinking it was going to be different. Thinking life, now that I'm saved. Now, David stands before us and he shares his faith and God provided this and God provided that. Oh, life is going to be good from here on out. No, he doesn't have that, uh, that um, illusion, I hope. Because there will be gracious provisions that we did not expect. And there will be obstacles that we never saw coming. There will be disappointments that will also loom before us. A false summit that we thought it was going to be different. And there's 1,200 more feet to go. The book of 1 Thessalonians is a book of hope. The book of 1 Thessalonians is a book of real hope and real faith in the midst of the real troubles of life. Let me give you a little background of 1 Thessalonians. You'd find this in Acts 17. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'll just tell the story briefly, and then we'll look at 1 Thessalonians. But in Acts 17, uh, Paul and his friends arrive in the city of Thessalonica. And uh, there they begin to teach in the synagogue, and people begin to believe. And because people are believing and following the gospel of Jesus Christ, then other leaders, the Jewish leaders, begin to get jealous. And they stir up opposition. They stir up persecution. They stir up the whole town against them to the point that they drive Paul out of town. And the guy that he was staying with, his name was Jason, they actually demand a, a bond from Jason. He has to pay us some money as a bond to guarantee that Paul will not come back and stay with him ever again. Normally, you, you, um, you, uh, you, 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 you pay bail to leave. Well, here, they paid bail to make sure Paul wouldn't come back. And he goes on to Berea, the next town, and, he's, and, he's, and they, they follow him there, the persecutors, and they drive him out of that town too. Paul goes on to Athens. In Athens, he's concerned about these, these Christians, those that he's left behind in Thessalonica with the, with the culture so against them. He's concerned, how will their, their faith hold up? And so he sends Timothy back 
from Athens to Thessalonica to see how they're doing. Paul can't go back, but Timothy can. Okay, so he sends Timothy. Meanwhile, he moves on from Athens to Corinth, and in Corinth, he waits for Timothy and word on how the church at Thessalonica is doing. And from there, we pick it up in Thessalonica chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, you'll find the book of 1 Thessalonians roundabout. If you're using a pew Bible, you find us on page 986. If you're using your own Bible, I can't say where you'll find it, but I'm glad you brought your Bible with you. First uh, Thessalonians, and I'm going to jump over to chapter 3 just to catch this, this storyline of Paul's worried how in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trouble, a steep climb, how is the church in Thessalonica doing? Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, chapter 3 and verse 1, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Trouble will come. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason, when I could not bear it, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brother, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Folks, you've been separated from for a while and you didn't know, how are they doing? How are they doing, especially in their faith? faith and their spiritual walk and you see them again and you find out they're doing well and they're thriving and growing and you rejoice greatly one of the things that first thessalonians models for us is this deep care and family concern for one another in the gospel that we are not just on our own we are not just gutsing it through the best that we can, each slogging along on our own. No, we are part of a, of a team traveling together. We're on this climb together, and we're going to help one another. We're going to bring one another along and encourage one another, and that's what you see happening here. So Paul is thrilled that they have continued in their faith. You know, the, the book of First Thessalonians is a prophetic book. I say it's a prophetic book. Think of prophecy, but not merely because it predicts something in the future that's coming. Not merely because it predicts the, uh, the return of Christ and the rapture, as it does in chapter 4. It's a prophetic book because it does exactly what the prophets do. Because we've been taking this journey through Scripture, this will be helpful to you as you go back and read the prophets again. The prophets always do this. They look back, and they look forward. And they, they look back, all the way back to Moses and all the way back to redemption and exodus and how God chose you out as a people, how God redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb and how he made you his own. And his Messiah, the Christ, is coming. And there is a kingdom before us and God is going to take everything wrong and set it right. There is glory ahead. They looked back to redemption. They looked ahead to future hope. And from those two places, they called the people to live in light of that reality. In light of the reality of what God had done, remember. And in light of the reality that what, that what God would do according to his promise, hope. In light of those two, two things, to continue living the Christian life, a life of love. 
So then, 1 Thessalonians is, is a book of faith, love, and hope. And you see that over and over as we go through the book. It's a prophetic book because it reminds us to look back at our redemption, to look forward in hope, and to live presently in the midst of that uphill climb in light of those two things. Okay, you with me? That's what I mean by prophetic book. Let me show you some examples of that. Like the prophets, it's a book of hope. In fact, every chapter ends on a note anticipating Christ's coming. Every chapter ends. Let me just show you those very briefly. Chapter 1, verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown, or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy at his coming. Chapter 3, verse 13. Last verse of the chapter. And so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his holy ones. Chapter 4 and verse 17, 18. Chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and who are left, and we'll look at this passage later, who are, will be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's repeating himself. It's okay, the prophets repeated themselves. They used that repetition for things that were important to make sure that God's people didn't miss it. And so must we. You see, we come week by week for this very purpose, that we might be reminded of what we believe, that we might be stirred again to sharpen the focus of our hope, of the joy that is set before us. We come for faith and hope so that we might live in love. That is the thrust of 1 Thessalonians. Let me talk through the book, and then I'll make some some application at the end of it. Let me talk through the message as a whole. We'll drill down in chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 speaks of their conversion and its results. Look at chapter 1 from verse 2. We give thanks always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, watch this, key phrases, your work of faith, you believed, and the work that faith did in you because you believed, your labor of love in the present, the work that they're doing, they're doing out of love for the Lord and love for his saints, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness in hope future of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like? Look at verses 9 and 10. Same chapter. Others report around you, all around Macedonia, the word has gone out concerning this church and the reality of their faith and how they live it out and why they live it out so strongly, so real. Why are they continuing to climb even though it's so steep? They're so opposed. They themselves report concerning you, verse verse 9 the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols, work of faith, to serve the living and true God, your labor of love, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, the steadfastness of their hope. So, faith, love, and hope, that trilogy is throughout this book. When you read it, look for it. Faith and hope feed feed our labor of love as we continue the climb together. 
Faith and hope are so important because the climb will not be easy. Chapter 2, suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. From verse 1, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. We had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, opposition, trouble. That's normal. And it was the normal, it was the experience of the Thessalonians as well. If you look at verse 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8, uh, let me see here. We were gentle among you. Well, there's this Paul's ministry among them, that family ministry, a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Uh, he uses the imagery of a father, a loving father as well, as a father cares for his children. So we exhorted you. In verse 14, for you brothers, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, Jewish churches. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. They suffered because of their faith. This was their experience. Paul doesn't say that's abnormal. Like I suffered, so they suffered. But it was real. And they could endure that suffering because of their faith in Christ and because of the hope that was set before them. Chapter 3, Paul's concern because of that suffering. We talked about that concern that Paul rejoices that they have continued in faith. The reality of the resistance and opposition to their faith. And we experience that today. We have the vacation Bible clubs coming. We have these five days coming. And there's a a national emphasis in the Portland-Vancouver area. And there are churches all over this area that are joining with CEF this year. And in this city, like in other cities in previous years, in this city, there's a focus on five-day clubs that would lead to good news clubs in schools after school in the fall that would would include kids out of these five-day clubs this summer. That's why we're in the midst of this in three different locations. That's why we're doing something different in Vacation Bible Club this year. And, And yet, that has not gone unopposed. Okay, churches have Vacation Bible Clubs every year, but this time is different. This time the churches are getting organized and going out into the community where the kids are, going to school playgrounds and having a club there, going to a park over here in Hawkinson and having a club there, as well as having a club here at the church. And the idea of doing that so that we can in the fall have an after-school club at one of those schools and introduce kids to the gospel there. And there are people that have banded together to oppose this. I think it's a horrible thing that we're doing. And there's actual serious campaigns to disrupt the clubs themselves, particularly over in Portland, as well as to disrupt the opportunity for those clubs to then get into schools in the fall. Why? Because the gospel will be opposed. And and Paul tells Timothy that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, the idea that once I have believed in Christ, once I have believed in God, God is going to make everything great for me. God is going to carry me along on a, on a feathery bed all the way to glory. That's a false summit. It isn't supposed to be like that. It wasn't like that for our Savior. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy set before him. He has given us the privilege. He has given us the opportunity to live this life in the same means that Jesus himself lived it, by faith in God's promise. This is the time. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three are the greatest of these is love. Why? Do you ever wonder why? Why is love the greatest of faith, hope, and love? Why is love the greatest? God just likes love better? Well, love is certainly the essence of God's character. God is love. How about this? Faith, the evidence of things 
not seen will one day be seen. Hope, that confident expectation of what we have not yet realized, will one day be fully realized. And through eternity, faith will be sight. Hope will be our present experience. Faith and hope in that sense will be no more. Through eternity, with the Lord, you will not have the opportunity to trust Him by faith. Not yet seen. Now is the time. Now is the time when the way is steep and it is not easy and your present experience screams against it. Now is the time when you have the privilege to say, God, I will trust you in spite of everything my senses tell me. Everything common sense tells me. Now is the time I will live by faith. That's today. That will not happen through eternity. Now is the time we have the opportunity, we have the privilege to live by faith. So then, if we're going to live by faith, if we're going to live our faith, that's where chapter 4 picks up. Chapter 4 gives us specific instructions then to then live your faith. In light of faith in what God has done for you in Christ, in hope of what he will fulfill in his promises, live in the midst of the now by faith in hope. By faith, in hope, we live in love today. Got it? That fills out chapter 4. Now, finally then, brethren, don't you know that he's closing his sermon? Oh, boy. He's, it's winding down now. Finally, brethren. Actually, that means he's just gotten to the good stuff. Finally then, brethren, we ask and urge you, chapter 4, verse 1, in the Lord Jesus, that you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you're doing. Keep going. Do it all the more. Do it all the more. It's not enough yet. It's not filled up yet. The church is not full. The, 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 the church is not equipped. The church is not built up all to the fullness of Christ yet. Keep going. Continue the march. We're not at the summit yet. Don't give up. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Everybody wants to know, what's the will of God for me? I don't know what I should do. What's the will of God for me? Should I do? Here it is. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you came this morning? It's right here. I have got the will of God for you. Guaranteed. It's written. The will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, man, is, is that it? Is that the focus? Really? We are in such an oversexed culture, aren't we? Oh, I wish, it, I, I wish church could be different. I wish we could live like, like the first century church. Guess what? The first century church lived in a very oversexed culture. And, and our resistance by faith to those same ungodly influences, we are in first century. And the culture at large, say, oh my goodness, what's happening? The culture at large against us, they're, they're not embracing Christianity anymore. We don't get the support of the powers of the culture encouraging faith. They seem to be working against churches. Welcome to the first century. Aren't you glad you get to live first century Christianity now? This is actually good stuff. This is exciting. You don't look very excited. You say, Bob, that sounds like a false summit. No, no, that's the real summit. It's still a little steeper. It's going to be a little steeper before we arrive there. But man, the view from the top is worth it all. It really is. It is worth every bit of it. Keep going. Abstain from immorality. Continue in brotherly love. Verses 9 and 10, the word Philadelphia. Continue in brotherly love one for another. And then in verse 11, from, he goes from Philadelphia. He's got a word play from Philadelphia to Philatemia. Philotemia has been translated by F.F. Bruce, Bruce um, be ambitious to be quiet. Be ambitious to not be so quick to talk down others. 
Be ambitious to be quiet. See to your own stuff. Mind your affairs first. Don't be a busybody concerned with everybody else. Mind your own affairs in ways that adorn the gospel. Be ambitious to be quiet. See to your own affairs. Work with your hands. Get, be willing to get your hands dirty. Get out there with these very hands. Serve others, verse 11. Live appropriately to the gospel, verse 12. Be a giver, not a taker. Not dependent on others, but rather, like Paul says in Ephesians, to, to work, don't steal anymore, but work with your hands so that you may have something to give to others in time of need. In the midst of a dependency culture, we should be the ones to say, hey, we can provide for those in need. Being a giver, not a taker. How do you do that? By strengthening your hope. Okay, here comes the good part. Look at verse 13. Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. We might go up right now. I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. I don't want you to be, some of your Bibles say ignorant, but I didn't want to call you that this morning. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who sleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's faith. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in great clouds to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and then forever... With the Lord, we will be. He says, encourage one another with these words. Why? What's going on? Why does he insert this here? In the midst of trouble, which has only been going on for a couple of years at best. They've been enduring persecution. This passage is not to comfort those, well, you know, the church has gone on for a while and people have started to die before the Lord comes. Well, they've started to die before the Lord comes, but not merely of old age. They've started to die before the Lord comes because of the testimony of their faith. They have been martyred. They have so stood for the gospel that it has cost them their lives. And by doing so, it seems that with the Lord's coming soon, it seems that they gave away their lives for nothing. Now they're going to miss the Lord's coming. No, they're not. No, they're not. Don't be unaware. Don't be uninformed about your hope. You can give your life away. The one who loses it, Jesus said, for my sake, will find it. Yeah. Those who give their life for the God, they're not going to be left behind. The Lord's not going to forget that. They'll be raised up. And we who are still alive will be caught up with them. And together we'll meet the Lord in the air and forever be with him. That's encouraging. The encouragement is, guys, it will be worth it. Keep going. Follow those who have even sacrificed for their faith because it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. When will that happen? That's chapter 5. I don't know. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Now you've got it straight from Pastor Bob. I don't know. Well, Paul didn't know. It's okay. Now considering the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You know this. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows just when. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in the darkness, brothers, that the day will surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. You're not going to be surprised in that same way when, as destruction falling upon you because you're looking for it. You're awaiting it, and you will be then caught up in it. 
as destruction falls down, you will be caught up and carried away into the presence of our Savior. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. We read about it in chapter 4. Who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, who died for us, there's faith. Whether we, that we have, are, are awake, living, or asleep, have died because of our testimony or otherwise, we will all together live with him. He's restating chapter 4, our hope, faith and hope. We live in today in the midst of faith and hope. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, even as you are also doing. So, the application is this. The point of the letter is this. It's what Paul is doing for them. It's what we must do for one another. We need to feed our faith. We need to feed our faith. We need to focus our hope. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 2. Four thirteen says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Don't be ignorant. Be clear-minded about your hope. Be informed about your hope. Know what it is you believe and why you believe it. As David described, he and Abigail had these conversations that went back to the Word, and he had to examine, is what I have in my own head, is that just stuff in my own head? Or is this really what God has said? Don't be uninformed. Know what you believe. Don't need to have it written for you because you are aware. You are fully aware. This is why we we read our Bibles. This is why we come to church, not just because we're supposed to, but because my soul needs to be fed. It's why we'll be back here next Sunday. We need to remember what God has done. We need to keep our sights on what God has promised, but not just ourselves. Did you catch the tone of the last verse of chapter 4, of verse 11 of chapter 5, where it says, encourage one another. We don't merely feed our own faith, but we strengthen one another's faith. We redirect one another's hope beyond the false summit to the true summit. Keep going. It will be worth it. This is what God is going to do. This is what God is about. When you connect with someone here or outside from here, we, we enjoy one another. But do we also help one another to remember and to look ahead? Do we, in the midst of our conversation about what's going on today, also look back to what God has done and look ahead to what God will do? That's Christian fellowship. Otherwise, it's just friendship. But sharing together in what God has done and will do, that's strengthening fellowship. We'll be standing, a few of us will be standing around a graveside on Tuesday, laying the body of Kathy Carlson's mom to rest. And as we do that, we will be remembering and we will be looking in hope. And that's how we face even the, 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 the harshest times of life, those times that try men's souls because those are the times that try our hope. But it is sure. It is secure. What about when good news comes? When life is good. There's an easy time to lose focus of our hope because we easily bring it down to a lesser hope, a false summit. Even in the good times, remind one another, offer week by week, even when we, we will, just in a moment, we'll receive this morning's offering. And what we do there, we are reminding themselves that even when God has provided that our eternal priorities are where our hope really lies. And we're stepping into that by faith. That is what the offering is all about. Faith is not easy. 
Faith is not automatic. Faith is an intentional determination to take God at his word for what he has done and for what he will do. Summer is a busy time. It's not always easy to reconnect together, to give your lives to one another in that way. Summer, we scatter and go all kinds of directions. But as you do this summer, as you do the people that you're with, stir their faith, strengthen their hope. Let's then, in stirred faith and strengthened hope, let's live together in love and toward those who are outside. And as we reconnect again in the fall in growth groups and classes and those connection Bible studies restart, that we will continue in faith and in hope, loving one another and loving those God has set in our path that Christ might be glorified, that even though it's steep, we will, in faith and hope, love as our Savior has loved us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that is set before us that even death itself, Lord, cannot end. Even death itself cannot ruin or spoil, but rather we will rise when he calls our name. Lord, we long for that day. And Lord, keep us longing for it. Keep us hungry for it. Keep us looking for it that we might live this day in light of that day. We pray it, Father, for our sakes, for the sake of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.